0: Hello and welcome to the St John's Derm Academy podcast, our educational resource for healthcare professionals in dermatology. I'd quickly like to mention our disclaimer that the information in this podcast is based on up to date information and expert opinion at the time of its recording. The podcast is intended for healthcare professionals, so although we welcome any patients listening, we do suggest that they see their own physician for personal medical advice. Across the next two episodes, Dr. Fiona Lewis will be joining me to talk about vulval skin conditions. Dr. Fiona Lewis is a consultant dermatologist at St. John's Institute of Dermatology in London and specialises in vulval diseases and um, leads the vulval service here. In this episode, we'll be covering the etiology, clinical features and investigations for vulval conditions. Following on from this, we'll dedicate a separate episode focused on the different treatment modalities available for vulval conditions. So welcome, Dr. Lewis. Thank you. Perhaps we should start just with talking about disorders that you commonly see in the vulval area.
1: Well, I guess the two ways of thinking about it, because there are skin problems that are very specific to the genital area, but you can also get skin problems that are part of skin disease elsewhere, such as eczema, psoriasis, and then the more specific conditions, particularly lichen sclerosis and lichen planus. And then... Also, we do see premalignant and malignant disease, as well as some pigmented lesions, other lesions. So there's a whole range of different conditions, but though the, the commoner ones are the eczema, psoriasis and lichen sclerosis.
0: Yes. Now, so starting with the history there, are there any particular questions um, that you found useful in guiding yourself towards a diagnosis for a patient?
1: So I guess the big, big pitfall is that when a patient complains of irritation, I think we tend to think of that as being synonymous with itch, but often it isn't. And so the question that you really need to ask is, do you want to scratch? Because the patient will say, oh, it's really irritable. But then if you say, do you want to scratch? They'll say no. Well, then that means they're not really itching and that pushes you much more towards neuropathic type conditions. If they are really itching, well, then that's a common symptom of other things. But that's one of the big problems that people think, yeah, irritation means itch, and it'll take you around, down the wrong diagnostic
0: pathway when you think about it. And and what about in terms of timeline and onset?
1: That's very variable. It I mean, particularly if we take the example of lichen sclerosis, um, there's really no correlation between the length of symptoms and how severe the disease may be. So you can have patients that have just been experiencing pruritus for a couple of months that will have significant architectural alteration. You will also have patients that have much more long-standing symptoms with very little to see. So the length of symptoms is not so useful very often. And also with some of the pre-malignant things like VIN, that again can have quite a long period. Obviously, if you've got something that's a really rapid onset, then that does need to make you think about malignancy, but it's quite unusual.
0: Yeah, yeah, right. And and just leading on from that, so are there conditions that are specific to certain age groups?
1: Yeah, so that's interesting because obviously the spectrum of disease that we see in children is really quite different from adults. Although we do see but lichen sclerosis in children, that's not the commonest. Irritant dermatitis would be the commonest thing that we see in the paediatric group. But in adults, I would say that probably lichen sclerosis is the commonest condition that we see in the clinic. And one of the things that used to be thought of is that, well, you know, pre-menopause, anything that itched was candidiasis, and post-menopause, it was all vulvovaginal atrophy. So a lot of dermatoses were missed. Yes, things like candida are less common post-menopause, but then some of the pre-malignant things like VIN, we see the undifferentiated HPV related probably more commonly in younger women, and the type of VIN that's related to lichen sclerosis more commonly in older women, and other types of malignancy are much more common
0: in older patients. And in, in your experience, in your practice, have you uh, found any pitfalls when you're examining a patient? Mm.
1: So I guess the first thing, probably one of the most important thing that very rarely gets taught ever is what's normal. And I guess that's particularly a problem with the genital area because most patients know, most doctors know what is the normal variation, say, on a face or a hand. But very few people, even healthcare professionals, know what's normal on the vulva. So that's where you've got to start, because if you don't know what's normal, you're not going to know what's abnormal. So when you're examining, first of all, know what's normal. Secondly, have a methodical way of doing it. Um, I tend to start in the inguinal folds, labia majora, labia minora, and work into the vestibule. Some other people may start more on the inner vestibule and work out. But you need a methodical way of examining all the different parts of the vulva. And then depending on what you see, you may need to examine other sites. So perianal skin is very important in things like lichen sclerosis, psoriasis, very, very common, like in simplex, really common to get perianal involvement. And then there are some conditions, obviously, where it's really important that you need to be able to examine the vagina. A lot of dermatologists will not necessarily be used to doing that, and that's fine. But then for conditions like erosive lichen planus and some of the immunobullus conditions, you need to work with somebody that can examine the vagina if you're not confident in doing
0: it. And how often do you find other clues in other parts of the body, do you think?
1: Oh, quite commonly, I guess the classic example is psoriasis, because psoriasis on the genital skin doesn't look anything like psoriasis elsewhere. It looks very, uh, you don't get the scaling, you do get well-defined plaques. But if you think you're seeing psoriasis on the vulva, perianal skin is really gets classically involved and up and up into the natal cleft. And then if you look for clues elsewhere, and often it's quite subtle, but umbilical psoriasis is really common with genital psoriasis. Then you look at the nails, scalp, etc. And you may find, not always, because sometimes genital psoriasis is isolated. But those are the, I guess that's the commonest one. And again, if you think you're seeing like in plainness on the vulva, you might find that in the
0: mouth as well. And with examination of the vulval area, positioning and in terms of light, have you found that to be? helpful?
1: Yeah, so we, d- we don't put women in stirrups. I, d- I, I don't think you need to. You can examine the vulva very easily without. As long as they can adapt the, the legs quite easily, you can get a good view. Sometimes if patients are very obese, you do have to get a nurse to sometimes hold up the mons pubis so you can actually see the area. And another good trick is, again, usually if they're quite if you get the patient to actually put their fists under the pelvis, that lifts the pelvis forward. And that can often be helpful as well at, at seeing the
0: vulva a bit more easily. You really kind of answered my, ne- my next question, which was about kind of pitfalls with either history or examination of the genital area.
1: Well, I guess we've talked about getting the symptom complex absolutely right. The other thing, again, perhaps a pitfall in examining the, the vulval area is not to look at the other sites and not to examine the area fully because you can't examine the vulva without separating the labia. You need to be able to see the vestibule because that's where a lot of disease will present. And it's very easy to think, oh yeah, great, psoriasis, because you just looked at the outer labia. But you need to check because in that situation, the inner vulva should be completely normal. But if it's not, then sometimes you can miss things there.
0: From there, what indications would push you towards considering a biopsy of the area?
1: So I guess that the importance with the biopsy is that there's a great tendency to think that you do a biopsy it'll tell you everything that's really not true because a a biopsy is really the opinion of a pathologist looking down the microscope as a clinical diagnosis is the opinion of somebody examining the skin now okay 99% of the time if those two meet up we're all good but if you're going to do a biopsy number one you need to be able to give a differential diagnosis you need to choose the right site and you need to be able to do a vulva biopsy correctly. There are some slight differences of uh, and different sites on the on the vulva. I, I mean I would never biopsy clitoral hood under local anesthetic, it's really far too painful. But all the other sites generally are quite quite easy to do. But that is the crucial thing I think is making sure you're choosing the best site and doing the best technique. We don't biopsy things like eczema, psoriasis, lichen simplex, they're generally very straightforward clinical diagnosis if you're used to seeing them. And I don't biopsy everybody with lichen sclerosis, but I think it is really helpful to do that. We don't biopsy children. We don't biopsy necessarily very elderly patients who are on anticoagulants if they've got very typical clinical signs. But the group that I think really should be biopsied, and this is in the guidelines, are the group that presents in the reproductive age group. So only about 15-20% of patients with LS will present outside the two peaks of prepubertal disease and postmenopausal disease. But in that group, it's really important that you have a formal diagnosis. And sometimes if they've got very mild disease, you can reverse that with a topical steroid. So then you never really know. I think that group certainly should be biopsies. And anything that looks atypical, Mm. has to be biopsied pigmented lesions really need to be biopsied and for anything that's a bit unusual or non-responsive to treatment so if you think something is psoriasis and it doesn't respond to treatment the big pitfall there is paget's disease whereas psoriasis should get at least a bit better with a topical steroid paget's wouldn't so anything that's not responsive that's another good reason to biopsy Mm.
0: That's a really good learning yeah. point there, biopsying yeah. things that don't respond. Mm-hmm.
1: And you need to have a really good pathologist. I mean, I'm very, very fortunate at St. John's because we have excellent dermatopathologists and all our biopsies I look at at the microscope with our pathologist because that's the other thing is you have to have really good clinical pathological correlation.
0: And what uh, type of biopsy do you use commonly? Do you use a punch biopsy? So yes, punch biopsy. biopsy. Yeah. So uh,
1: minimum four millimetres. Smaller than that is really not helpful but generally four millimeter punch is fine.
0: And just for histopathology generally?
1: Well again you know that depends on what you see you may need to do immunofluorescence very unusually do we sometimes send tissue for culture if it looks odd and well, when you might think you're dealing with some sort of atypical infection but predominantly um, yeah H&E.
0: What other investigations would you consider uh, doing for genital lichen sclerosis for example?
1: Well, for, for LS, we don't routinely check autoantibodies unless the times I would do it is if a patient has got, you know, several different autoimmune conditions. So if they've got lichen sclerosis and vitiligo or they've got lichen sclerosis and they've got very extensive extra genital disease, then I might check the autoantibodies. I have to say a lot of the time we know that they've got an associated autoimmune disease because they're on thyroxine already or you've got somebody that maybe have got good history to suggest autoimmune disease but I don't do that routinely. The other thing not just LS but particularly psoriasis it's very common for candida and strep A to be secondary pathogens so if you've got lots of fissures in a patient with psoriasis then a swab is often helpful.
0: So you do swabs for both kind of bacterial and uh, fungal elements. As yes,
1: because well? that, that would all that that would be on the same same swab. And obviously, if you've got blistering, you may want to do a viral swab to exclude herpes simplex.
0: What about other kind of more ancillary uh, testing, like patch testing? How often do you do that?
1: Very rarely, actually, because an allergic contact dermatitis as a primary diagnosis for vulval eczema is really uncommon. The pickup rate on patch testing goes up dramatically if they've got significant perianal disease. But we we actually refer very few for patch testing. So it's often if there's an uncommon story. Clinically, if it's an allergic contact dermatitis, the classic thing is that the inguinal folds are spared and the rash might go down the thighs. So that's sometimes a diagnostic clue. Or if they put their treatment on and things get dramatically worse, so you've got a funny history. That's also helpful, but yes, you know, if you patch test patients with vulval itch, you may well pick up uh, lots of positive patch test reactions. But the big question is: is that relevant? So it's a primary thing; it's not not common.
0: Now, is there anything else that you'd like to kind of talk about in terms of the history in the in the examination there that I haven't really covered?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think we've probably covered most things with with history. Uh, examination again i think knowing normal variants is one of the really important things and then the other thing we've covered with with biopsies again clinical pathological correlation and knowing you know if you get a funny report back that doesn't fit then again you need to rethink the diagnosis
0: Mm. how often do you have two conditions um in the same patient that
1: quite often Mm. I mean, I guess the common ones are uh, we've talked about secondary infection with things like psoriasis. One of the big ones is patients with lichen sclerosis who then develop psoriasis, and there are studies that show that those two will coexist. All oh, right. Yeah. Does the psoriasis curb neurise in the LS? Don't know the mechanism of it, but um, mm. that can that can happen. And then you can get s- where you really can be caught out where you can have things that look slightly different at different sites. I guess the classic one is patients that might have developed VIN in one area that actually could potentially even be separate to the other problem. So I've certainly had patients that have had psoriasis, but then have had a funny lesion elsewhere that looks different and you biopsy both areas and one is one and one is the other. in and differentiated VIN is, is not quite the same because that obviously will... Show up as very atypical areas on a background of lichen sclerosis. Mm-hmm. So that's not so common. But mm-hmm. again, you know, like we've said, it's, it's atypical, you need histology.
0: And with using uh, investigations, do you ever um, ask patients to come off treatment before biopsying or swabs or yeah. Like mean, that? Yeah, I mean,
1: one of the major problems that we have at the moment, I, I think there is a big misdiagnosis or overdiagnosis of lichen sclerosis. And there is this myth that well let's start the patient on dermavate maybe it's lichen sclerosis and then if they want to do a biopsy when they get to the hospital that's fine mm. it's not fine at all because dermavate used empirically is really not helpful because the problem is it will not only reverse the signs but it will also reverse the histological so there's no point as doing a biopsy if the patient's been on dermavate because if the skin looks normal it's going to be normal histologically mm. and so if you're going to do a biopsy it has to be done treatment naive yes. you know again the guidelines show that if uh, if you think it may be ls and you're going to refer then if you use a mild topical steroid that might give some like hydrocortisone it might be give some symptomatic relief but then it won't alter the investigations because that is really difficult in you know a young woman. You're telling them that they've got a potentially pre-malignant condition, but you haven't got any good evidence to back it up. And, you know, often just because the inner labia may be a little bit small and they might have had a bit of itching, that doesn't make a diagnosis of lichen sclerosis. And so you really do need classic clinical features to make that diagnosis or you might have some features of it. But then if you're not sure, you either refer or it should be biopsied.
0: I think that's a really important point to to make sure that you've got the diagnosis there before treating. And just backtracking a little bit about itch and disease Mm. burden, what what do we know about the disease burden of vulval disease?
1: Well, I guess, you know, one of the big problems that we have is we don't have excellent data for prevalence and incidence of vulval disease for various reasons. One of the maybe patient related because patients often don't report things you know from embarrassment they think they've got infection etc so that's one problem and then the other issue is that they can present to lots of different specialties so you know I guess traditionally patients would often think oh, if I've got a problem there it's going to be gynecology but actually vulvary skin yes. so it's a dermatological organ but it's a site, and so dermatology gynecology GU In children, paediatrics, sometimes even things like urology, etc. And there's obviously a big primary care burden of disease, a lot of which will be very straightforward, things like candida, which if treated are fine. But, you know, a lot of the, how, how much of a burden it is giving you hard figures is very difficult. But it has a big impact on quality of life. I mean, we do know that. And certain diseases specifically will have more of a problem than mm-hmm. than
0: others are there any particular questions that you ask to kind of gauge how much it's affecting a patient's life
1: Yes, I mean you we we don't routinely necessarily use dlqis and there are some newer tools coming in specifically for vulval disease. I guess probably the the things that affect women more are the vulval pain problems, mm. some of which do occur after an inflammatory dermatosis. And again, one of the big problems that we have is lichen sclerosis is actually quite an easy disease to treat. (laughs) But it's very rarely got right at the beginning. And so patients will then grumble on for quite a long time without necessarily having had the right treatment. And then they do get problems with scarring. And then, of course, that can obviously cause a lot more impact, not just daily life, but sexual function as well.
0: Yeah. And we're just going to park that about the management of um, lichen sclerosis there. So, um, and that'll be part of our second episode. So, that's actually probably a good place to leave things for the first episode. Uh, so, thanks, Dr. Lewis. Thanks for joining me for this part. And we'll, You're welcome. And we'll pick it up again in the, in the second episode. For more information, please visit www.stjohnsdermacademy.com under our podcast tab. You can also find a link to our podcast survey. We highly appreciate your feedback and we're very keen to hear about what we did well and what we could do better. All the feedback received will be used to design our future content that suits your educational needs. Finally, I'd like to thank our partners. They don't have any influence over the content produced in this podcast, but their support is highly valuable to us please visit our website for more details under partners. And thank you again for listening and we hope you're able to join us for the next episode.